Good morning. Thanks for being with us today at South City Church. Beautiful time of worship. Thank you guys. Love you very much. So thankful for that time. Uh, this is a, uh, a wonderful day. I've been praying for you, praying for our church. And so you look good. Thanks for being here at 930 this morning to worship with us. Hope you'll stay and continue to grow in your discipleship to make other disciples through Equip at 11. Uh, we had an amazing time last week. If you weren't here in our service last Sunday, I hope that you'll go back and watch it online on our website or the different places you can see it. Uh, it was such a special service. Uh, Pastor John Richards from St. Mark Baptist Church was here to preach and did a fabulous job. Uh, and then my friend Victor Davis, you know, he uh, shared the, the MLK speech, I Have a Dream. And it was just such a, a beautiful day, not only to appreciate uh, Black History Month and be thankful for God making us a diverse church and praying that he continues to work through us in diversity. And even you're going to hear more of that even today through God's word. Uh, but also just an awareness of where we are, how to pray for our country, how to pray for our neighbors. Um, it was just a beautiful day. Had such a good time with those friends with us. And uh, if you hadn't had a chance to watch it, please go back and check it out. All right. Um, this morning I want to look at one of the most important texts in scripture. If you're just reading through Ephesians, you might miss it. I'll be honest with you. I, I, it was just a few years ago, three or four years ago, that this text was brought to me and I, it, it was kind of illuminated to me. And I began to understand the meaning of it and what is behind it and it kind of blew my mind. I'll be honest with you. So I, I want us to hear this. I want us to get it today. It's a mind-blowing understanding of God's purpose and mission for the church of Jesus and we as believers, we as the church, we have to get this. We have to understand it. We have to live it out. And so uh, I want us to take a look at that. You know, I've told you this before, but one of my favorite shows in the whole world is a show on the History Channel. I'm a history buff. I love History Channel. There's a show on the History Channel called The Curse of Oak Island. I love it. Like, I get excited on Tuesday afternoons because The Curse of Oak Island is coming on Tuesday night. Uh, my my My... My fan uh, status is waning a little bit because they're, they're not discovering as much as I want them to. But uh, it's all about a treasure hunt. The show is all about this team discovering some form of treasure on this island in Nova Scotia. And what's interesting is uh, whatever the treasure was or is in the ground literally could be a history-changing event if they find what they think they might find. Some, some people have theories that it's uh, some of the treasures from King Solomon's temple that was taken away somehow uh, by the Knights Templar. It's been brought to America and it's in, or to Nova Scotia and it's there on this island. Some people think it's part of Shakespeare's work or even Spanish gold. But I don't know why, what it is, but I love the mystery. What are they going to find this week? What's it going to be? I can't wait. I just, I, I get so excited and what I love about our text this morning is, the bottom line is, Paul finds a treasure. Paul is told a secret that people didn't know. It wasn't spoken of for ages. And Paul, prophets, and other apostles are given the treasure. They're given the location and the meaning behind it. And so I just love the mystery of uh, this story and what we're going to learn today. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to go through uh, verse 13. This is what it says. 
For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, uh, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Pray with me this morning. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you so much for your grace. The grace that we celebrated this morning in communion as we remember your death. As we remember the price that was paid for our sin. God, thank you for your forgiveness. This gift of salvation. Thank you for the grace you've lavished upon us. God, we also thank you that we get to live together as a different multifaceted, multicolored, multicultured people called the church. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've given us an unbelievably important mission to make you known to the universe. <laughs> help our minds, help our finite minds understand what you're saying in this text today. And give us a courage, oh God, to live it out to be who you're calling us to be, and to do what you're calling us to do. Father, we love you. I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would move us to all truth, lead us there. God, I pray that you would increase in this place and that I would stay out of your way and decrease, oh God. Teach us from your word by your spirit and give us courage to obey it, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So every week, one of the things I love about teaching expositionally through different books of the Bible, different letters, um, is you kind of have to stay together. When Paul wrote this letter to the, the churches around Ephesus, this wasn't categorized in chapters and verses. It's a big letter. And so every week as we break down little pieces of this letter, we kind of keep looking back over our shoulder what was said last week to help give context to what he's saying this week, right? So last week, Pastor John did such a wonderful job. It was such an amazing service. I'm still just so thankful for their, their attendance and help with us here. But he, he helped share with us that, you know, when we talk about Jews and Gentiles, there's probably not very many Jews I don't see in the audience. Maybe, maybe there's some Jewish um, history in the audience. Most of us are Gentiles. 
So when, when Paul talks about last week about how the fact that we as Gentiles were separated from God, far from God, and through the cross of Christ, through the death of Jesus on the cross, he has brought us, Gentiles, near. Praise God. This is what he's referring to when he says at the beginning of this text, for this reason. Right? When we look back over our shoulder last week, he's saying, for this reason, for the reason that we're brought together by the blood of Christ, that different cultures and different colors and different races can come together and now be this mystery of the church. For this reason, I'm a prisoner. So we just keep looking back over this and we see that now, even though we're not Jews, we are made a people of the promise with Jews because of our faith in Christ. Paul said this, he said, salvation comes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And that's exactly how it played out in the first century. Jews came to Christ first. Five, ten years later, Gentiles began to come to Christ, just as he and Jesus both predicted. So now when we were brought together, it's, you know, it's, it's funny. It's not like the Brady Bunch. <laughs> it's not like we have this stepsisters and brothers and we just were awkward. Well, there is some of that for sure. But it's not like we're just mashed together and we got to figure out how to make this thing work, right? That's not the case. No, when we're brought together by the blood of Christ, one of the things Pastor John said last week is we're made into a new people. It's not sort of appreciate them and they sort of appreciate you. No, we are together made into a new man, a new humanity, a new society, a new reality of Christian, where our cultures aren't paramount. They're not primary in our lives anymore. I'm not Western, European, Caucasian anymore as the most important thing in my life. I'm a believer in Jesus. That's who I am. My identity is in him alone. That is what he's saying here. We're made into a new people, the body of Christ. I, I love his, his, the title of his message, A House Without Walls. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of got a pet peeve right now with some worship songs on radio and some different things. They talk about the house of God, the house of the Lord. And there's this inference that, you know, in the Old Testament, there was a house of God. There was a temple. But because of Christ... There's no more building that is the house of God except you. And we still use these phrases, come into the house of God. Well, that's not a building. It's not something made of wood and, and stone and concrete. It's made of flesh and blood. It's people. The Bible calls you, who are in Christ, living stones. Paul says that the apostles and prophets are the foundation, and that Jesus himself is what we all lean on. He is the cornerstone of the, all the whole foundation. You are the house of God. We are the house of God, right? I love that. So I want to I look at three main specific points today. Paul, Paul is, uh, I think he has some ADD. You know, he kind of jumps around at different points, and it's hard to, okay, yes, he's saying this here. He also says it there. He doesn't keep everything together. So we're going to jump around a little bit today. But I want you to see three main points that I see in this text, and it's this. Number one, we see Paul's grace that he's been given about who he is and his assignment, his job description, if you will. Paul's going to lay out, this is, this is what I do. These are the things uh, that God has given me by his grace to accomplish. We're going to see those. He lists a bunch of them. And then we're going to take a look at this mystery. What is this mystery in the church? 
this coming together of cultures to form a new humanity. We're going to look at that. And then we're going to look, lastly, at what does it mean for the church? What is the mission of the church? It's bigger than you, you might know. It's bigger than you might understand. You might read past this text and just kind of read and not see all that Paul is saying for us as the body of Christ. So, number one, I want us to look at the, the first verse. Look here. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, you might remember we worked through Acts. Remember that Paul was in in prison in Jerusalem, and he was escorted to Caesarea by 500 Roman prisoners. I mean, huge escort, some on horseback, some walking. Then he's held in, in Caesarea for a long time, many trials in, in Caesar's palace, in uh, literally Caesar's palace, not like the other one, literally Caesar's palace in Caesarea, and then he is taken by ship to Rome, and Paul's writing now as a prisoner of Caesar in a house chained to a Roman soldier. There's no question he is a prisoner of Caesar, right? He's in Rome, but that's not what he says. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of what? Christ Jesus. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You know what that speaks to me? That I hope speaks to you this morning? Many of you, as Daryl so beautifully and pastorally spoke, have hearts today that are hurting for different reasons, struggling for different reasons, circumstances in your life that are out of your control, they're beyond your control. And I'm sorry for that. I'm hurting with you for that. But I want you to understand, as we look at Paul's life and what he's saying in this moment is, yeah, I'm in prison, but it's Jesus who okayed my prison time. You see that? It's Jesus that I'm a prisoner of. He's allowed this. He's walking with me in this. I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. That's not my circumstance. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What is your circumstance that is so devastating right now that you keep giving it glory? Well, I just don't have the finances I need right now. I'm mourning through the death of a loved one, and I'm I'm hurting, and yes, I understand that. I'm struggling with a physical need. Stop giving it glory and give glory to the one that's allowed it in your life. Jesus, are you a prisoner of his? Paul could have said, I'm a prisoner of Caesar, but he's not. He's saying, I trust Jesus in every circumstance. He's the Lord of my life. I rest in him alone. I'm a prisoner of Christ. He has allowed it. And then he says, he's allowed it on your behalf. There's a a moment where Paul is giving his testimony to the Jews at the temple. It's around Acts 21, I believe. And uh, he's, he's telling the story of Jesus. This is one of his evangelistic, charismatic uh, messages that Paul is preaching and he speaks about Jesus as Messiah and dying on a cross and being raised again and, and the crowd wants to kill him but, but they're not saying as much yet and he keeps talking about his persecuting the church and, and Jesus coming to him and, and uh, knocking him down and his blindness and then when Paul says, and then Jesus saved me and sent me to the Gentiles, it was at that point they said, this man needs to be done away with from the earth. Isn't that interesting? It was when Paul said, Christ has sent me to love the Gentiles. There's such animosity and racism, bias, 
ages of class warfare against Jew and Gentile, that it wasn't Jesus or his resurrection necessarily, it was when they said, when Paul said, no, he sent me to the Gentiles to give them the gospel, they went, kill him. So when Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ on your behalf, he's, he's telling the truth because it was at that moment that he went in prison and has been in prison ever since on their behalf. Another identifier that Paul gives us, first he says he's a prisoner, then he says he's saved and sent by grace. I love this. He speaks of grace three times in this text. The first one he says, uh, stewardship of grace is the way he puts it. You know, when I think of being a good steward, I, can't, I think about money. Do you know every single thing you have in your life has been given to you by God? Everything. Every child, every penny, every job. Everything you have has been given to you by God. The question is, are you living as a good steward with what God has given you, what God has given me? Am I a good steward of those things God has given me? Well, I love how Paul says, I want to be a good steward of grace. And that's the question for us this morning. Are you a good steward of grace? If Christ has saved you by his grace, in grace alone, Jesus alone, in faith alone, if, if he's done that in you, are you being a good steward of that grace? Are you walking on it? Are you not appreciating it? Are you living however you want to live? Then where Paul says, should grace abound all the more? And he says, absolutely not. No, we, we don't trample grace. We don't take advantage of grace. We ought to be a good steward of grace. And so Paul says, I'm, I'm going to steward this grace by serving Jesus. That's what we ought to do as well. He also talks about grace as a minister, as a preacher. But the next thing he identifies in Paul in his job description here, he says that he's been given a revelation of the mystery. Along with other apostles, along with other prophets, they've been given something that generations before weren't given. Isn't that interesting? Very interesting. Paul has new information. You hear me? There's some new things that Paul has been revealed. God has revealed through Jesus to Paul. And it is about this mystery, the mystery of cultures coming together as one new people. So that, that's kind of a big deal. He's been given that revelation. Another identifier of Paul is that he's a minister. He says, and again, according to the gift of God's grace. But he adds something to it. He says, working by his power. I love the grace of Jesus. I can't get over it because I know who I was. I know who I am, still in need of grace, right? But what I love about this addition of working by his power, working through his power, in his power, what it speaks to me is that it doesn't matter what you've done. If you're sitting in this place this morning, it doesn't matter what you've done or who you've been. Christ can save you by his grace and by his working power, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, he can make you a minister of the gospel. <laughs> I know it firsthand. If you knew my, my broken heart, if you knew my depraved mind, if you knew my sinful history, it would break your heart as it does mine. But God in his grace... But God in his power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, has made me a minister of the gospel. Praise God. What have you done? Who have you been? Because God can save you by his grace and by his power, use you. 
Thank God for his grace. The next thing he says is that, <laughs> I love that he says this. He's, this just shows a humble heart, right? Look what he says. Though the very least of all the saints. I'm the very least of every single one. Again, it's by God's grace given to me that he's called me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul was commissioned. He, God told Ananias in Acts 9, he said, I want you to go to this man Saul. Remember Ananias was like, <clears throat> Saul, 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 that's all? There was fear there. You want me to go to the guy that kills Christians and do what? Excuse me, pardon me. Yeah, go to Saul and pray over him because he is my instrument to the Gentiles to go before kings and I'm going to show him how much he must suffer. Paul knew that suffering was a part of this role. Paul knew that even as he was on this missionary journey to collect money for Jewish Christians and, and it's this missionary journey, he's bringing this money. He knew, he said the Lord showed him in every town he would go in, he must suffer. Paul knew about his suffering, and yet he felt called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And this is such an interesting phrase because <laughs> Paul literally, theologians are saying, Paul literally made up a word. They translated it unsearchable. But he literally coins a word. It didn't exist. It didn't, he makes up a word, and he gets the word he made up from somebody who follows tracks in the ground, a tracker. Like somebody who's hunting an animal, following a people by their tracks. But Paul says, not that because you can't follow all God's goodness. You can't keep up with all his riches. So Paul can't describe the goodness of God and the riches of God. And so he comes up with a word that basically says you can't describe it. It's unsearchable. It's unfathomable. I love that. The unsearchable riches of Christ is what God has called Paul to preach to the Gentiles. And then he has this other identifier. He, he's supposed to bring to light for everyone the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You know, if we turn the lights off in here, you'd still be able to see because we have this wonderful stained glass. I love sunny mornings when, when the glass just dances for us. But if it was dark outside, it'd be pitch black in here. It's kind of, kind of creepy in here. It's dark. You can't see. But when you turn the light on, Everything makes sense, doesn't it? You don't stub your toe. You, can, you, can, you know where to go. You know where everything is. Paul is saying God has called him, and one of his identifying pieces of his job description is to help everyone see the plan of the mystery, the plan of the church. Some of your texts say the administration of the church. God has given Paul, by revelation of Jesus, the plan for the church, the plan for the mystery. How these crazy people that are so different and have been so far apart, now are one people. How they're to live together. How they're to love one another. How they're to be on mission for Jesus in the world. How the church is supposed to operate. We begin to see that lived out as the Pauline cycle and, and missionary activity and all these different things. And churches set up and elders established. And you start going, wow, Paul knew what he was doing. Yeah, because it was given to him by Jesus. And this is where he's saying, that was part of my role to bring to light the administration, the plan of the church. It's like Paul had the blueprint, and he lived the rest of his life to help establish what God had called him to. The last thing I want to bring your attention to, and this is where we're going to jump around, if you jump to the last verse, 
of our text. It says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. I think this is so interesting because here's Paul. He's the one in chains. He's the one in prison. He's the one that's been beaten countless times, stoned countless times, three times I think he said. He's the one that's been shipwrecked so many times. He's the one that's been hit with the cat of nine tails and skin pulled off his flesh so many times. He's been through it. And yet he says to the people, his hearers, the audience, the churches of of Ephesus, don't lose heart. What kind of heart does he have? That he's the one suffering and yet he says to the people, don't lose heart over my suffering. It's your glory. It's almost as if he's saying, it's your glory, saying, Listen, God loves you so much, he's allowing me to suffer for you. Which just sounds a little bit like Jesus, doesn't it? He allowed Jesus to suffer for us. The suffering servant who gave his life. And here Paul, walking in very similar footsteps, suffering on our behalf, on their behalf. He says, don't lose heart over it. So Paul has a pastor's, shepherd's heart. It's beautiful. Paul's a prisoner. He's a missionary. He's a, a recipient of the mystery He's a minister, he's a preacher, he's an administrator of the design of the church and a pastor. God has given him so many things to accomplish by his grace, all by his grace. Next section I think we ought to look at is this mystery, just for a minute here. Look at Ephesians 3, 6. It says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul has talked about this mystery even all the way back to his very first book that he wrote, which is Galatians. He talked about the mystery then. But he, he makes no bones about the fact this is the definition of the mystery. The mystery is, right? Here's the mystery, you ready? That Gentiles are fellow heirs with Jews, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the definition when he talks about the mystery, this is the definition, okay? Now, a couple of things I want you to notice about these three things. Fellow heirs. When he says fellow heirs, he's looking back to Abraham. Remember when God came to Abraham and he said, I want to make you the father of many nations. He takes him out of his tent and he takes him outside where he can see the stars. He says, do you see the stars? That's how many children you're going to have. And for this old man going, you got to be kidding me. How, how in the world? That's my promise. And he says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to every family on the earth. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the blessing that would come through the Abrahamic lineage. Jesus comes through the, the Jewish people, and he is the blessing that can be a blessing to every family everywhere on the earth if they accept him, if they know him as their savior. So he looks back to the past of the Abraham covenant. Uh, I I like the fact that um, when God was talking about heirs, when he said uh, this about being heirs, this is not just about a lineage. In other words, if you're Jewish, you're an heir, right? If you came through that that history of Israel, you're an heir. No, no, (laughs) that's not what he's saying. A lot of people take it that way. That's not true. God's heirs were children of that blessing, the Bible says. So that means, and I want to just, a little point of of theological understanding here that's really helpful, I think. 
People ask, how do people in the Old Testament, how were they saved? Well, the Jews talked about Messiah all the time. Isaiah spoke of the suffering servant. All these different prophecies. And so Jews, before Jesus came, looked forward to a Messiah that would save and redeem. And as they looked forward to a, a Messiah that would save and redeem, they would be saved by Jesus. In the same way that we, 2,000 years removed from Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, look back to a Savior in our faith, and we believe he was Messiah, crucified on a cross and raised from that grave. And we are saved as we look back just as they looked forward. Does that make sense? Through faith. That's how we're saved. So in order to be an heir, a child of promise, you have to look towards Jesus. You have to know him as Messiah. Uh, Paul put it this way in Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You're saved. See, baptism doesn't save you. It's just the first act of obedience. But after you're saved and you get baptized, you have put on Christ because of that salvation. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. How are we heirs? Because we're in Christ. Does that make sense? So for Jews, not every Jew is an heir. Every Jew that looks to Jesus as Messiah is an heir because they have to be in Christ. Here's the second thing about our text. It says, uh, the mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, uh, members of the same body. There's a sense of presence. We looked back to heirs. There's a sense of a present moment. You're members of the same body. This is how you're going to live together. It's not easy, is it? (laughs) We we said this far, uh, this side of, of scriptural time, And we go, didn't they just get it? I mean, okay, Jews and Gentiles, they can live together and be together. And yet here we sat last week, and I was listening to my friend Victor give that speech and just thinking, that could have been written today in parts of it. There's still so much division among the races in our city, in our country, around the world. That could have been written today. And we wonder, how come they didn't get it? We don't get it. He said this last week, I'll say it again, because it it needs to be said so we make a change to it. And that is, why is this hour the most segregated hour in our country? When it ought to be the hour that we're most integrated as the body of Christ, as a family together made as a new humanity, where culture is second and Jesus is primary. Why? It's not easy. But we are partakers. We are members of the same body in this present reality. No longer separated. No longer different levels. No, we have to live life together. We're baptized in Christ. We are one. There's no distinction. No prejudice. If there is, it's sinfulness. And may God forgive us and change us. So we're fellow heirs as we look to the past. We're presently members of the same body, and we have a future sense too, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. This promise, or these promises, are some of the same ones we talked about earlier in Ephesians, that we have every spiritual blessing, right? These are these promises made to us 
in Christ. We all have them. The same for the Gentile as it was for the Jew who looks to Jesus. We all have this as a family of families. God always keeps his promises. Here's the last thing I think we ought to look at, and this is, again, this whole message just kind of blows my mind, but this one especially, the mission of the church. Look at this text, Ephesians 3.10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So that through the church, so that through the church, everybody say through the church. One more time, through the church. It is through you. Own this. Understand it. Because if you do, it it, it will change everything. This will be part of the treasure that you get and go, oh my goodness. It is through the church that God wants to communicate his manifold wisdom to all the universe. Spiritual realms and fleshly realms. Through the church that he wants to do that. God wants to use the church to show this manifold wisdom. What is manifold wisdom? Well, in the Hebrew, the word, uh, you remember it maybe in Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school, you might remember talking about Joseph's many-colored coat. Remember that one? The coat of many colors, you know what I'm talking about? The word for many colors is part of the same word used for manifold. It's, it means uh, many, many-colored, many-splendored. Paul is literally talking about a multicultural wisdom of God. A multicolored wisdom he's using in the church. John Stott says this. He says the church as a multiracial, multicultural community is like a beautiful tapestry. Its members come from a wide range of colorful backgrounds. No other human community resembles it. Its diversity and harmony are unique. It is God's new society and the many-colored fellowship of the church is a reflection of the many-colored or many-splendored wisdom of God. Isn't that beautiful? It's God's wisdom that he's done this this way, that he's bringing us together, that's now through Paul and other apostles and prophets being revealed to us. This beauty of God's creation in the same way that he made all things. This is his plan through the beauty of this manifold, many-faceted, many-splendored, many-colored representation of his wisdom in the church. It's through different cultures, different people, different colors that we see the wisdom of God in salvation and power. We begin to understand that, then we'll want to be a diversified church. We'll want to see his wisdom used through different people in us. He also speaks about the fact that we have a role as the church that we communicate to authorities, rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This just kind of blows my mind. In other words, go with me for a second. Angels and demons alike have been like looking over into history from creation of the world, the flood, all that happened, Christ's miraculous birth, 
his life, his death, his resurrection, the birth of the church, the Pentecost, all the they've been watching, trying to figure out what's going on. They didn't have that information. God had not given it to them. In fact, Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He's talking about salvation, and he says, the things I'm talking about, angels long to look. In other words, they don't know. They don't see all that God has done. It's through the church. Isn't that mind-blowing? That God has helped the church. It's through his church that gives explanation to the plan of God. But church, I I may or may not go. It's not that important. I'll never forget one of our partners after COVID uh, had, had hit us and was such a devastating thing, still is. But we were opening back up. We were only closed for six weeks. We were opening back up, and he, he, he didn't like it. He said, why in the world are you in such a hurry to open back up? Right there. Why is it important? Because the church... As my, my sweet wife prayed over our team this morning, pushes back the darkness. The church reminds people who they are in Christ. The church is essential. And when we get the understanding of who we are as the body of Christ and our role, it will change your understanding of the church. Friends, we got to let go of this Americanized, Westernized, poor theological concept of the church and get a biblical understanding of what the church is and live out of it because we've missed it. Until we get it and we move this mission of Jesus forward to people who are dying and going to hell, we've missed it. God, forgive us. Impassion us. Move us. Paul says this is all according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. All this plan, all this design centers itself in Jesus alone. It's through Christ, all of it. See, the plan of God was the gospel. Before the foundations of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. God had a plan and a design And on on the cross of Christ, Jesus dies for our sins. He gives us a gift of salvation if we'll accept it to Jews and Gentiles alike. And and all of our diversity brings us together, makes us a new community, a new humanity of redeemed people called the church, whose identity is in Christ and his blood and his life and death and not in who we've been or who we are. Those things are secondary to who he is in us. And it's through this multicolored, multicultural, reality, this new humanity that we get to tell the love story of Jesus to this world. You're going to hear us say over the next several months this year, one of the phrases we're going to use is gospel saturation because we're praying for gospel saturation in central Arkansas. What that means is that every man, woman, and child in central Arkansas has multiple opportunities to come to know Jesus as their savior. Multiple. That they're bumping into people, Jesus people all over the place. And then finally they go, okay God, I surrender. Would you pray with us about gospel saturation in central Arkansas? That's what we're praying for. And that we would be used of God in that. All right, lastly he adds at the very end here that it's through Christ 
that we have boldness to come to his throne. We have access to a holy God. And how needed is that? If we're going to be the church that reaches the world, if we're going to be the church that communicates this story of God, we need to know he's with us. We need to have boldness in him. We need to have access because he's the God of mission. It's his desire to reach the world. Hebrews 4.16, the author says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Like Paul, we've been given an incredible gift of God's grace. He loved us. He saved us. But we've got to use that grace, as Paul has spoken, about being a minister, about preaching the gospel, about being who he's called us to be, to to be a servant, be a good steward of that grace, to use it for his glory in our lives and for the people around us. We're so blessed to be given this beautiful mystery of the church that we get to live life with people different than us. I love it. I love looking out there and seeing different cultures and colors and shades and stories. It's It's a strength, not a weakness. It is the manifold wisdom of God. Relationships, real relationships, not surface relationships, relationships that cross racial and cultural divides, that the gospel of Jesus makes us one, equally important, equally loved, equally valued, and together on mission. Friends, I want to say just a couple of things before we close. The church is not some add-on activity or service that you may or may not choose to attend on a Sunday. That's not the church. Church is not a, a simple little option. It is God's revealed mystery to every creature on the earth, above and below the earth. That's the church. The church is God's only plan to fulfill this mission, this eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. It's the only one. There's no plan B. And Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Like how John Stott said, for every church in every place at every time is in need of reform and renewal, but we need to be aware lest We despise the church of God and are blind to his work in history. We may safely say that God has not abandoned his church. However displeased with it, he may be. He is still building, refining it. And if God has not abandoned it, how can we? It has a central place in his plan. Are you a part of his church? I didn't say, are you here at the service? Church is not a service, it's not a building, it's not a campus. It's a people on mission. Are you a part of the church on mission? Do you see the difference? Things, you know, COVID has been difficult, no question. But the Bible talks about that things may get worse. So we need to be more bold, not less. We need to be more aware of the difficulties we're going to face and suffer, not less. God, give us boldness, as your word says that we can have. Get involved in one of our triads. Get involved in a city group. Meet me over here at 11 o'clock to grow in what it means to be a disciple maker, would you? To be a part of his church. Kent Hughes, this will be the last thing I say. He says in his uh, commentary on Ephesians, he says, the church is not an option for believers. 
nor is, it supporting, nor is supporting it an option. I'm not saying you have to go to church to be a Christian, but you also don't have to go home to be married. However, if you don't frequent your home, your relationship will be in jeopardy. Attendance and participation in your local church is not an option. Paul's gospel was Christ and the church. I'm not saying that you need to check off, hey, I was at church today. No, I'm saying I'm a part of the church. Check that one off. I'm on mission today with other people. I'm walking life in confession and honesty and authenticity as a disciple of Jesus. That's being a part of the church. Friends, I pray that God would give us his grace, as Paul talked about, and the seriousness we should have as we serve him out of the stewardship of that grace. I pray that he would give us a love and appreciation for this mystery of the church, these different colors and cultures, strengths that we have one another, and that God would help us understand this unbelievably important mission. Do you see a little bit more, maybe, the importance of the church? You can't read that and not go, whoa, it's not just something I can maybe or maybe not go to or maybe or maybe not be a part of. If you are in Christ, God has given you this, this mandate to be with his people, to walk in maturity and grow together in him. And guess what? Ephesians 4 says you can't do it apart from one another. Paul's gospel was Christ and his church. Pray with me this morning. Father, we love you. We give you this text. God, we pray thanksgiving for it. We thank you for Paul's heart, his willingness to serve you, his willingness to see his suffering and his imprisonment as something, God, that is from you, that you have allowed for his life. This is his role, and he serves in that role and even sees it as glory given to Christ. God, may we see every circumstance in our life as an opportunity to give you glory and play out the role you have for us no matter what it may be. May we appreciate this beautiful mystery and may we understand the incredible importance of your church. God, we have so many traditions. We have so many things we've elevated that may or may not be biblical truth of what the church is, God, would you give us clarity? Spirit of the living God, lead us to all truth. And when you help us understand what the truth is in Jesus and our role to play as communicating and living out this manifold wisdom before all of the universe, God, help us to stand. I pray for the fathers and the men in this room to stand, God, in who they are in Christ. I pray for the, the women, the moms, to stand for who they are in Christ. I pray for our children to know their identity in Christ, that you would use us, Lord, to push back the darkness and take this beautiful gospel of Jesus' love to all the world. Would you do it in South City? Would you do it in me? This is our prayer. Precious, precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.